The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Scott again having trouble finding anybody. Throws this one deep downfield up the grounds. And intercepted by Tyler Sass, who always seems to be around the ball. Tyler Sass, three interceptions a week ago. That one, he just played center field. It was more like a punt. His fourth pick of the year, a 43-yard return. The coach said the ball just finds the guy. <laughs> now they spread the field. Grigsby is the tailback. Grigsby will get the call. Look at that pursuit. Adrian Claiborne, the right end, chasing little Nick Grigsby all the way down the line, and he outran him. How about that? 6'3", 282 pounds, and that's just getting after it. That's playing the game fast. That's playing it hard, and that's from the backside. Grigsby, in his wildest dreams, wouldn't have ever thought that he would be caught from behind by a 282-pounder. No, and he's not going to be too fond of the idea when he sees it on film either. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyesmike.com. The Iowa-Arizona game highlights are courtesy of ABC Television with Mike Patrick, Craig James, and Heather Cox. A great and enthusiastic job calling a very exciting Big Ten Pac-10 game. We very much appreciate it and thank them. These football games come to you following every game during the entire season. You'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Kirk Ferentz and Joe Paterno, and we'll take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview the Iowa-Penn State game. Also this week, we'll feature former Iowa star and current NFL scout Silas McKinney. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by by calling 866-74-HAWKS. Wager. Touchdown! He launched himself from the three-yard line and soared into the end zone. A devastating drive because it took eight minutes and 30 seconds off the clock in the fourth quarter. 74 yards on 14 plays. Just what they wanted and they got every inch out of it. The Iowa Hawkeyes dominated the Arizona Wildcats in front of a blackout Saturday, sold-out Kinnick Stadium, winning 27-17. It was a tough, hard-fought contest. The final score does not indicate how much the Hawks outplayed an improving Arizona team, coached by former Iowa star Mike Stoops. Iowa's defense was superb throughout. The Hawks held running back Nick Grigsby in check. He was the number two rusher in the nation coming into that game, and Arizona had very limited success passing the ball. The Wildcats came into the game 15th in the country in total offense, averaging more than 500 yards a game. The Hawks limited them to just 253 yards. The Iowa offense got the job done when it had to. Quarterback Ricky Stanzi was a little better from the start, but still inconsistent in the first half. He improved substantially as the game went along and overall turned in a very solid performance with good stats. The Hawks dominated in time of possession and number of offensive plays. Iowa also had another 100 yards rusher, this time Adam Robinson. And they did this without three of their offensive stars who were out with injuries. Brian Bulaga, Tony Moyaki, and Darrell Johnson-Culianos. 
Once again, Iowa punter Ryan Donahue was just short of spectacular on Saturday, and he was named Big Ten Co-Special Teams Player of the Week. You would be hard-pressed at this point to identify a better punter in college football. He's definitely a major weapon in Iowa's attack. It was supposed to be Arizona's Pac-10 speed versus Iowa's Big Ten physicality. But it turns out Iowa's speed, especially on defense, looks like it can stack up with anyone this season. The Hawks now prepare for this week's whiteout Big Ten opener at Penn State. The Nittany Lions are looking to revenge their 2008 last-second loss to Iowa, which cost them shots at both an undefeated season and a national title. Post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it! HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with just a single application. To learn more, go to www.prefensbotanicals.com. Prefens is now the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa football team, the men's and women's basketball teams, and the defending NCAA champion Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling team. A look at postgame notes and key stats from the Iowa-Arizona game. The Hawks are 3-0 now for the second straight season, and they tied the series against Arizona at 6-6. Iowa's win also marks the first time it's defeated a Pac-10 team since a 21-2 win over then-16th-ranked Arizona State in 2003 in Kinnick Stadium. Time of possession was a key factor in this game as the Hawks held the ball for 12 minutes and 43 seconds in the first period alone, and the Wildcats had no first downs in that opening quarter. Iowa had a season-best 37-56 in time of possession, including an eight-minute touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, which sealed the deal. This is the third longest time of possession under Coach Kirk Ferentz. A couple of interesting personal stats. Redshirt freshman running back Adam Robinson had a 43-yard run in the second period. That's Iowa's longest run from scrimmage in three games. Robinson ended the day with 18 rushes for 101 yards. That's his first 100-yard game in his career. Tyler Sash had yet another interception. Sash has now got seven interceptions in Iowa's last five games. Defensive back Adrian Claiborne played an outstanding game. He had six tackles, including a sack, forced his first career fumble, and collected a career-high three QB hurries. Meantime, linebacker Jeremiah Hunter recorded a team-best seven tackles, while Pat Anger had six tackles and matched a personal best with two pass breakups. Iowa scored a touchdown on its opening possession versus Arizona, but the Wildcats failed to score on their first drive. Iowa has not allowed the opponent to score on its first drive in 16 consecutive games. Three Iowa players started for the first time in their career. Tight end Alan Reisner, wide receiver Colin Sandeman, and sophomore defensive back Sean Prater, who was back from a suspension. Sandeman had a career best in both receptions and yards, five catches for 47 yards. Team statistics, first downs, Iowa had 19 to Arizona's 8. Rushing, 133 to 148, Arizona had the advantage there. But yards passing, Iowa had 205 
to only 105 for the Wildcats. Total offensive yards, 338 for the Hawks, 253 for Arizona. Total offensive plays, 74 for Iowa to Arizona's 51. Possession time, 37.56 for the Hawks to 22.04 for the Wildcats. Third down conversions, only 2 of 12 for Arizona, while the Hawks had a very good 10 of 19, and in red zone scoring chances, Arizona was 2 of 2, and the Hawks 4 for 4. It's third and 23 after a great start. Iowa's been going in the wrong direction. Delay on third and long. Robinson's already made about five guys miss, and there he goes to the 25-yard line. Holy cow. That play should have gone nowhere, and Robinson just would not stop. He kept deacon and dodging until there wasn't anybody left. Blitz coming. Stanzi hangs in the pocket and throws. He's got the first down to McNutt. McNutt on his feet to the 10, down a block, to the 5, dives out of bounds. They'll mark it at the 1. Gain of 34. Now McNutt made a big catch on the first series. Didn't Stanzi look like a different guy? Step up, on his front foot, throw the ball. Time now to hear from the coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach, Kirk Ferentz. Ferentz was asked about whether he's talked to his team about the revenge factor that seems to be dominating the discussion at Penn State this week. I think that's probably true. You could probably say it anytime anybody loses a game and anybody, you know, uh, we, we could say at the same time we lose a game too. But uh, I've read a lot about it. You know, some of their players have talked about it and uh, I think it's natural. You know, I'm sure they're going to want to win the football game. My guess is if they had beaten us last year, if we'd missed that field goal, they'd still want to beat us. So uh, I don't think that's going to be a huge factor. Ference was asked about the ability of the Hawks to simulate in practice the kind of atmosphere they're likely to face in Happy Valley. That, that's part of our routine weekly, uh, home or away. We just do it on Wednesdays, uh, particularly for the offense. I'm not as worried about the defense, but uh, it's not as big a factor, I should say, for the defense for obvious reasons. It's really more of a factor at home for our defense. Uh, so they're kind of used to communicating uh, visually. But, uh, yeah, we, we do it every Wednesday, home or away, just to you know, get the guys used to it. I, I, and I think we just started that a year ago, maybe. Uh, for a long time, I just thought that was all garbage. And we used to do it in the 80s, and we, we did it when I was in the NFL. They think it helps, and it helps. That's good. Ference was asked whether last year's last-second win over Penn State was a turning point for the Hawks. I mean, yes and, and yes, probably. Uh, it was a turning point in the fact that, uh, you know, we won that day, and then we continued to win. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we became a pretty good football team about that time last year. Uh, we were on the road to it, and you know that helped us. It's the first time we won a close game. You know, I think you, you all are more aware of that statistic better than I am, but we hadn't won a close game for quite a while. So that was significant, and we won another close one the week after. So you know we got over that hurdle a little bit. But you know every every, every season, every team has got its own personality. It's a you know cliche, but it is a journey, and uh, you know I mean every step along the way is important. Then how you respond to every step is really important too, and. Yeah, we're, we're uh, much earlier in the season this year as opposed to last year, but I, I just this team, like last year's team, has been fun to work with. It's it's been uh, very responsive. I think we got great character on the team. We got good leadership. Uh, I think everybody's invested, and basically every day has been pretty enjoyable outside of the injuries. You know, that's but that's part of football, and some years are better than others. 
and Ferentz talks about his starting quarterback, Ricky Stanzi, who's had some inconsistencies so far this season. You know, I, I look at it two ways. I think he's improved each week, uh, probably like our team. So that that's a positive. And I, I think, too, you know, maybe uh, you have to take into consideration, you know, most of our uh, flux has been on the offensive side of the football. And, you know, to say the quarterback's not affected, you know, I, I think that would be an understatement. So, you know, he's, he's had to go through. You know, we haven't been stable up front. We haven't been stable outside. I think we all know the running back situation. So it's, it's been an inter- interesting evolution for our offensive team. For him just to, you know, pretend, you know, business as usual, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of an understatement. And just said on the teleconference, I was almost tempted uh, Saturday to hold up a sign uh, on that one throw that was like 20 yards from anybody. Just hold up a sign, you know, it wasn't his fault. Because uh, I'm sure we had 70,000 and probably a few people in the press box thinking, oh, Stanzi, you know, what's he doing out there? Uh, but believe it or not, it was a miss misrun route and uh, by a good player. I mean, it was just an honest mistake, but as the first thought I had there was, okay, you know, everybody's going to jump on Rick's back for this one too, but it wasn't his fault. So I think he's doing just fine and uh, he'll, he'll be ready to go. Penn State's Joe Paterno was asked about Kirk Ferentz and the way he coaches at Iowa. In my, in my the fact that he's, uh, he's, he's got class, is, I guess is the best way to describe it. He, you know, he takes a win in stride, and he takes a loss in stride. His kids play hard, but they nothing, no shenanigans. Uh, they play 60 minutes. They play alert football. They're, they're, you know, they, they give you everything they got. They're tough. Uh, they play the way the game should be played, and I think that's got to be uh, attributed to the fact that that's the way Kurt is. Kurt's a no-nonsense guy who's as honest as, you know, he's, he, he, what you see you get. And I think his football team's uh, uh, as he is. He's a good, tough, honest guy who goes, uh, comes out there when you play him and and you better, you better be ready to play your best game, and even then you may not be good enough to beat him. Paterno was asked whether it's a concern on his part about the players' apparent focus on last year's loss to the Hawkeyes and the revenge factor. Oh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we've not, we realize that uh, we can look like a good football team last year to play really well and, uh, and handle themselves really well. There was no gloating or anything like that. I think we'd be, you know, we, we're trying to put together a good football team. Our kids have not played anybody that, you know, that's been really tough uh, so I think they're looking forward to find out just how good uh, how good they are don't think they're going to play with blood in their eyes I think they're going to have a good week of practice and uh, and play a good tough football game and hopefully it'll be good enough it's obviously doubtful whether it will be good enough because I think Iowa is really a fine football team Paterno was asked whether he wishes now that Penn State had faced a tougher non-conference schedule Oh, I suppose it would be. I'd you know, like to see see them react to some adversity. We've not been behind yet, so it's uh, you, you never know how you're going to react to what happens. But there's nothing I can do about that, so I, I don't worry about it. I just try to stay focused on, uh, on what Iowa has done and can do and try to guess what they might do if, if it's going to be something different and just hopefully get our kids ready to play, uh, play as well as we can play and better than we played so far. I think you always hope your team gets a little better each week. And, and I think we're going to have to play a lot better than we played in order to be able to compete with Iowa. And Paterno was questioned about whether he has concerns about his rushing game at this point in the season. 
Yeah, I think it, it does bother me when I run the ball. But uh, in all fairness, uh, we've had some defenses to just said, hey, we're not going to let you run it. We played against people that had eight, nine guys in the box and just played our wideouts one-on-one. And, uh, and uh, you know, just said, go throw the football. And I didn't want to just go throw the football. We got ahead in uh, all three games, and I realize that down the road we're going to have to run it but we have not proved that we can run it yet I think we we were better against Temple and Royce had a, a good day against Temple and we did a little better job blocking we went in the year with an in, a very inexperienced offensive line uh, and understood that we was going to take a while for us to get better, good enough to compete in the uh, Big Ten so it's now we'll find out. You know, Iowa obviously is a very fine defensive team, and they're down people and linebackers up there are as good as anybody we're going to play against. So we will we'll have our hands full. It'll be tough to run the football, but we, you know, obviously if we want to be good, really good, we're going to have to we're going to have to run the ball against a team as good as Iowa. You're not going to just go down there and throw the football. You got to. So we're we're trying. But, but I think your observation that we're not, we haven't been very successful is a good one. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. Robinson is back in there, dives, touchdown. Go back to that third and 23 where they ran a nice, safe play. It maybe is going to get you 10, get you better field position, and they break it for a ton. Just as soon as you think one team has turned a quarter and is dominating this game, boom, it turns around. 70-play drive in 327. You see Adam Robinson, the freshman, this time two hands on the football when he goes across the goal line. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. A dominating win for Iowa over a pretty good Arizona team. How impressive was Iowa's performance and what impressed you the most about their play? Boy, their defense. You know, I, I just thought they you know, handled an Arizona team that had some talent, had some skilled, skilled guys that I thought were pretty effective. And uh, I mean, I just, I just like the way they, they just contest every square inch on the football field. I mean, just. You know, perfect example when it's a 7-7 ball game and they get a long run and our guys are scrambling to make the tackle and we actually make the tackle on the one yard line that could have been an easy touchdown to give up and then they were able to hold Arizona to a field goal, you know, and it became a 10-7 game. And I mean, those are the types of plays that, you know, just truly determine how great a team is going to be when you can test every single inch on the football field. And I think our defense is doing that right now. Prior to the game, there's the usual chatter about Iowa and Big Ten physicality versus Arizona, Pac-10 speed. Yet as the game wore on, it became pretty clear to everyone watching that Iowa has a lot of speed itself. Yeah. You lose sight of the fact that Claiborne is, you know, probably 280 pounds and the guy's running sideline to sideline and making, you know, catching running backs. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. AJ Eads has been quiet. But that guy's a phenomenal athlete out there covering the slot receivers and, you know, uh, forcing them into, to, you know, trying to run the football. So, you know, Spave's doing a great job covering down and it's like people don't even want to throw at him anymore. So, 
I, I think we've got a great mix. You know, when you can get pressure with four guys, which is, you know, ideally what I would like to do when they can drop seven out, that helps your pass defense immensely. So I think that's where they're at right now. They're playing at a high level. And, you know, offensively, I think we're starting to execute a little bit better. And, and uh, you know, I think we're getting some more production at the running back position, which is critical to this offense. So. Now, touching on the speed, is this a deliberate shift in recruiting strategy for friends, or is it a general trend among high school athletes? Well, I, th I think more high schools are going to the spread offense, and so you see more athletic players that are conducive to the spread offense, and they need to be athletic to run that type of offense. It's a rhythm, it's a fast-paced offense, and so I think you see more athletes that are in that system, and then they, you know, which is conducive to speed. So I think more athletes are preparing and training to be effective in that style versus just power, you know, pro-eye, that type of thing. So I think it's helping college football immensely. After watching the first three games, was this almost an ideal non-conference schedule for Iowa? Yeah, with the exception of you and I, I mean, you know, I think we've, you know, I, I know, know we've had the discussion, you and I is a great football team. Uh, they're going to do great things in their conference and in their division. And so, yeah, I mean, to be 3-0, if you dial it up right now in the way they're 3-0, it's pretty good. Let's switch things up this week, talk about the defense first. Can you talk about Norm Parker's six seconds of hell and our coaches always trying to come up with a motivational technique like that? And why does it seem to click with the players? It's pretty cool. You know, it kind of gets back to what we're talking about, contesting every square inch on the football field. And, and you know, that's about the average play of, of, of a snap. And if you get 11 guys that run to the football, if they play assignment defense, they run to the football, have lane recognition, you know, look for reverses, things like that. You know, one, it's, you're going to get more turnovers. Two, you're going to have, you know, more negative yards. And three, you're going to, you know, have a chance to, you know, create fumbles and then land on fumbles just because you got guys running the football. So it's, pre it's pretty, it's been fun to watch. I mean, I, I think it's, a, it's truly a core group of 11. There's some stars in there, but yet they play, you know, just sound fundamental defense. And, you know, I think the perfect example is the safety sash. It's just always in the right place at the right time and making the interceptions. Adrian Claiborne, you touched on him a minute ago, just incredible on Saturday. When you have a player like that, especially on defense, how much of it is coaching versus inherent talent? Well, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, obviously he's got some natural skills that separate him from a lot of different players, but yet the coaches put him in a position to be successful and, you know, give him some stunts, give him some freedom with what he's doing and, you know, let him you know attack the football and then you know that's a, that's assignment type stuff that the coaches allow them to do but you know what's going to happen ultimately is is now offenses are going to see that on film and they're going to have to physically account for them they'll have to slide the line to them they'll have to have a back that's you know earmarked to watch and help the tackle and so i mean it, it's going to change offenses strategies they come in a game against iowa because they definitely have to account for him Stansy last week, not so much a slow start as hot and cold, but in the end, a very good performance and great stats, especially late in the game. You know, he, he can throw the ball. I mean, he, he's the best pure thrower I think I've seen at Iowa in a long time. I mean, he can flat out just throw it. I mean, he can bang the out routes. He can throw on the run. You know, he throws that deep comeback as good as anybody I've seen. And the throw to Reisner down the middle, the little look pass with Reisner heading down the middle was just phenomenal because he threw that ball even before Reisner was by, by the linebacker. So it was a pure timing and a spot throw before the safety. So he can make the th all the throws. He's got some incredible upside, I think. And, and I think Coach O'Keefe's been pretty aggressive with him, letting him throw a lot on first down, which I think is ultimately going to even help our running game even more. So I'm seeing a lot of great things with Stanzi right now. And the performance of the offense, even more impressive with Beluga, DJK, and Milwaukee out. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the MO has always been next guy in. That's the one good thing about having depth in all those different positions. And, and someone, you know, someone's misfortune is someone else's opportunity. And, and that's the great thing if you're ready and you, you paid attention to detail and you worked hard through, your, you know, all those different practices and different years you've been at Iowa. You should be ready. You know, I mean, there should be one A and one B. It shouldn't be first string, second team, third string at this level. You know, everybody should be a, a good college football player, and when they're given the opportunity, should have success. Assess the improvement of Robinson and Weger. Can you talk about the development of the post Sean Green offense so far? I think it's great. I mean, obviously, I think we're a more effective passing team this year than we have been in the past, and uh, you know, it's to Stanzi's credit. But that's just going to help our running game, and it's going to help our young running backs. But you know, Robinson's uh, starting to get his legs underneath him. I mean, if you remember, kind of Sean Green had to work his way back into game shape, and that's traditionally the case. I mean, you can say it's heat, you know, when guys are cramping up first two or three weeks, but it's also just game conditioning, you know, and, and, you, and your body gets used to the hits, it gets used to the, the pace of play, the repetitions, and so I think you're starting to see him settle in and really doing some great things with the football, and then, you know, uh, Weigert comes in and he does some great things as well, so. As a coach with a punter like Ryan Donahue, how much does that play into your planning and strategy on offense, just like having another weapon out there? It is, and especially when you have a great defense. I mean, if you can force people to have to go 70 yards or 80 yards, that's hard to do against a good defense. And, uh, you know, you've got to execute really cleanly to do that or have huge plays. And, and our defense isn't conducive to giving up big plays. So, you know, so having that as, as a weapon is, is phenomenal and he's doing a great job, so that helps the defense immensely. Well, it's prime time Saturday for Iowa and Penn State this weekend. Two questions, as a coach and as a player, how do you go about preparing for such a big game, you know, with all the hype and everything? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things you try to do is you, you try to get on that schedule a little bit during the course of the week, or maybe one day you go out and you practice at seven o'clock at night and, and uh, kind of go through the routine, play under the lights, practice under the lights, that type of thing. And then ultimately it's, you know, the, the, for majority of these guys, they've done it already. You know, they've been experienced with some bowl games. They've been experienced with some of these other things that they've had to do. So football is a routine, you know, and, and you wake up on Sunday after Saturday, you know where you're going just instinctively because you do it every single Sunday. And then Monday is the same thing. Tuesday is the same thing. Obviously a night game is a little bit different, but for some guys it's actually, you know, good. They'll get up in the hotel that morning and they'll do some stuff, probably have chapel and and uh, a team meeting and then they'll have a breakfast and then you know maybe be able to watch a few college games but then they'll get them back moving around about three o'clock or so and get them in their pre-game mode. When you played in such a big game, Ohio State for example, how did Hayden Fry approach things? You know I mean it was different for different players. He had, a, he had the ability to motivate guys differently. For me all you had to do was say it was a Big Ten game we were going into Columbus, Ohio and I was, I was jacked. I mean I was ready to go. Other guys he would motivate with, you know, hey, this is, you know, the difference between driving the Volkswagen and the BMW, this type of game. So uh, trying to, you know, inspire them by, you know, telling them if you play well in this game, the pro scouts are going to be looking at you and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's all different, you know, but it, hopefully for, you know, one of the things we try to emphasize with our kids is football is a privilege. It's, a, it's, a, it's fun. It's a fun game to play. And what better way to enjoy a great game than be able to have national TV coverage and, you know, playing under the lights, it's like high school. And, and so just to have them enjoy the moment of, of where they put themselves in this position. You know, they, there's a reason they're playing at night. It's because they're a good football team, you know, and they should be able to enjoy that, all the hard work they put in, and then ultimately make it a positive experience for them. And, and just a great opportunity. 
it's a whiteout game at Penn State, something they only do for the special games. Can you talk about the atmosphere at Happy Valley and how much does it really affect the play, both for the home and visiting team? I've never been there. I just know that when you play on the road and you play in a, in a great environment that has great crowd noise, I think the one thing that some people would have played there that is the most annoying is that the, the roar of the, the cat, um, the lion or whatever that they, when they get a first down or something. So I think the motivation is not let them get first downs and then you don't hear that stuff. But, you know, but, that, but that's part of the environment. And, and, and to be honest, I think, you know, Coach Fry told me that, you know, you don't worry about things you can't control. So you can't control the crowd, you can't control the noise, you can't control, you know, the weather. So just worry about the things you can control and that's your focus. And a lot of times, when you're in an environment like that, it's so loud and so intense that it does force you to really lock in and focus. And you can actually concentrate a little bit more intensely just because you really have to be fine-tuned, listen to the quarterback every word, really you know, read his lips almost so you can hear what's going on. And, and so you can actually almost lock it in a little bit better. And, and now, but that being said, snap count for the tackles and tight ends who can't hear the quarterback's cadence, you actually have to look in and see the ball and then try to figure out where the guys you're blocking. So you have to be, you know, it's a little bit of a disadvantage from that standpoint, but you know what, that's part of football. Trust me, when they play at Kinnick Stadium, it's the same thing, so. What about all the talk about Penn State out for revenge? Can that sometimes hinder your preparation and performance, or is it always a motivating factor? No, it, it can, it, it depends. It can actually hurt because you can you can press too much. The one thing you gotta do is just play. You gotta, you gotta play within the system, and, and, you know, if you try to do too much, you, you'll struggle. And you know that depends on, the, on a lot of the leadership that Penn State has, and I think they've got the skilled guys in place that are, are pretty sharp, have been in some big games. So I don't see that as being an issue where they would overpress or try to do too much. Truly, the the best way you handle stuff like that, and from an Iowa standpoint, from a Penn State standpoint, is you know you just play one play at a time, and at the end of the day, you add them all up. You know, and they look up and you see the score. That's how you do it. You just got to execute first and ten. You got to execute this play, and the best teams. Don't always win, but you know the ones who execute the cleanest and, and, and make plays usually do. We talked earlier about Iowa's non-conference schedule. Any thoughts on Penn State's, which was one of the weakest in the Big Ten's this season, and the apparent difference in philosophy? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, let's be honest. Iowa used to be that way. I mean, Iowa used to play a lot of you know smaller schools, MAC schools. And just recently now we're in the Big 12 in the, in the Pac-10. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, honestly, it's going to sound weird, but, you know, it's a difference in 8-3 and three and 7-4, and 6-5, and five, you know. I mean, if you go, you know, 4-4 four and four in the Big 10 or, in, you know, 3-0 and oh and you're in the non-district, you're 7-14. and 14, That's not a bad season. That, you know, it's a good bowl game. If you play Texas and USC in your preseason, you go 4-4 four and four in the Big 10, you're, you know, you're 5-6. and six. You don't go to a bowl game. You know, you still have the same Big Ten record. So, I mean, you know, and bowl games are great for coaches. They're great for the universities. They make a lot of money. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it's just a, it's a mindset that it is what it is. So, you can't blame coaches for having easier schedules uh, in the preseason. But, you know, for me, as a player, if you had gave me a preseason list of the top 12 teams in the country, I'd want to play the top 12 teams in the country. And that's just kind of the way I was, and I'd rather go 0-12 knowing we weren't good as the, those teams versus going 12-0 playing teams that weren't very good. Well, what do you expect to see in this game, and what are your keys? I think special teams are going to be huge. I think uh, we've got to eliminate big plays from Penn State. They've got some skilled guys that can hurt you and do some good things. So we've got to eliminate that with our defense and then offensively we've, we've got to keep their offense off the field. We've got to execute, run the ball effectively. And I, I think we've been doing a great job with the run-pass mix. 
uh, and keeping defenses, you know, off off balance. And you know, if we can continue to do that, I think we can have a lot of success. I I think it's a great matchup for Iowa. I think uh, you know we've got a, a very good shot if we go in and play well and play clean football, eliminate turnovers. We, we, you know, it's a it's a game that we can win. A prediction? I think we'll win by you know four to six, seven points. I think you know we're playing at a high enough level defensively right now where I think we'll keep them from scoring a lot of points. And if we can just put up 21 or 17, 21, 24 points, we'll have a good chance to, to get the victory. Any other thoughts? No, it's why you play college football. You know, I mean, my, my, my son last night came down and was excited because ESPN, I think, has a two-helmet game or something where the helmets are on. Yep, game day. Yeah, game day is going to be there. So. Uh, you know, so he's he's excited to, to see the, the publicity that's going to bring for the university, and and uh, it's going to make for a fun Saturday. Time for the Big Ten Notebook. Going into week four of the 2009 season and the first week of conference play, the 2009 title chase begins as the coaches have all emphasized that 11 teams have a clean slate. This is the 114th season of Big Ten football, a conference where parity has reigned in the last decade, with eight different teams winning the conference title either outright or as co-champs. The Big Ten leads the country with five teams that are 3-0. Four of those face off against each other this week and two Big Ten teams have already matched their total victories from 2008. That would be Indiana and Michigan. Ohio State is looking to do something no other Big Ten school has done in history. That's win five or more straight titles. The Buckeyes have won at least a share of the last four conference championships. There are two more trophy games this Saturday. Illinois and Ohio State battle for that famed Illibuck, while Purdue plays Notre Dame for the Shillelagh. As Iowa gets set to play Penn State, here's an Interesting note, three current conference coaches have earned at least one Big Ten title. Ohio State's Jim Tressel with five, Penn State's Joe Paterno with three, and Iowa's Kirk Ferentz with two. In addition to Iowa playing at Penn State, other key games this Saturday include Michigan State at Wisconsin and Illinois at Ohio State. I mention the latter because the Illini have had the Buckeyes number in recent years when playing in Ohio Stadium. Believe it or not, Illinois has won three of the last four games in Columbus and seven of the last ten. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. And I love Iowa City. I love you, Hawkeyes Mike. We turn now to Pat Hardy's comments. You can read Pat's articles in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. Sean Patchett talks with Pat about last week's game and this Saturday's contest. All right, last week you expected a close game. Given Iowa's dominance in this game, were you surprised and do you consider this a statement game for the Hawks? I was surprised to a certain extent that they were able to control the line of scrimmage the way they did. I mean, the Iowa defense was totally dominant. Arizona had just eight first downs. I, I wouldn't say Iowa dominated the game. I think the game was still in doubt to till the very end until Iowa went up 27 to 10. But and I do think it was a statement game in the in the fact that before that they only had victories over Iowa State and Northern Iowa. No matter how good people think Northern Iowa is nationally, it still was not much of a victory. Now they had a victory over a good Pac-10 team. I think a victory this coming Saturday against Penn State though would be a much bigger statement. How important was playing like they did leading up to the Penn State game? Very important. 
mostly from a mental point of view because now they have something to fall back on besides the shaky performance against Northern Iowa and the performance against what now people think is a pretty bad Iowa State team. They've got a good solid victory against an, an Arizona team that's expected to compete in the Pac-10 conference. So I think that looks good. That's a good resume type victory. Let's do the optimist-pessimist thing again. What impressed you the most and what concerns you the most? What impressed me the most was the just the overall dominance of the defense, the ball hawking pursuit, the gang tackling, the individual play of guys like Claiborne and Sash and what have you, and the freshman running backs, particularly Adam Robinson. He, I mean, they're getting 150 yards a pop now between the two of them, and that's very good production. Robinson ran like a veteran, and he just, he really seized the moment, was not intimidated by anything. And what concerns me the most still continues to be Ricky Stanzi's poor starts, and sometimes just his tendency to just lock in on one receiver. It's like everyone in the stadium knows where he's thrown to. And I know there's it's a part of marking down in your progressions and what have you, but I think Stanzi, to me, his inconsistencies, especially early, that's probably my biggest concern right now because if he has a poor first half against Penn State and they're down by two or three touchdowns at halftime, to me, the game's over. Were you surprised at how much speed Iowa demonstrated Saturday? Uh, pretty much matching all that talk of the Pac-10s speed and athleticism? Uh, I mean, I not really, and I'm not sure, because to, to me, I still walked away thinking, wow, Arizona was a faster team than Iowa. Iowa was just a better team. I mean, Arizona's secondary might be the fastest secondary Iowa faces this year. I'll probably go out and live and say it will be. And I think Iowa against Big Ten teams, like those reverses they ran with Paul Cheney, to me, those will gain more than six and eight and nine yards what they gained against Arizona. I don't think the speed factor, I don't think Iowa necessarily negated the speed factor. I just think they won despite the, the speed factor. I mean, because Trey Strauss, Colin Sandeman, Alan Reisner, those guys aren't speed guys. They were just able to win with executing and with power football and what have you. And I think Arizona, like I said, Iowa was able to withstand a very fast secondary. And I think Iowa just overpowered him more than beat him with speed. You touched on Stanzi a minute ago. His start was a little better Saturday than more inconsistency in the first half than a very good second half. Do you think he showed improvement from the first two weeks? I think his play in the second half was better this time than it was even in the last two times. It's just unfortunate that he can't put something together for an entire game. I'm not saying he has to be on fire for the entire game, but it just seems like in the first half there's a feeling out process where he's going to throw a couple passes that very well could get intercepted. I'm not sure if the receiver ran. I think the receiver may have ran a bad route on that one that got intercepted, but it just seems like he still locks in on one receiver lots of times. He doesn't really kind of check down and look away and what have you. It just seems like there's lots of times where I know where he's going to throw the ball and there's times where he tries to force it in. But I think he's getting better and I think he will continue to get better and I've got faith in Ference. Ference seems to still believe in him. We've seen him do it too. He's He's been in these types of moments before. So, I mean, I think he'll be fine. Can you talk about the offensive line play, especially with Belaga missing the game? I think it was fine. I think they didn't really miss a beat. Obviously, they're not going to replace Brian Belaga, but I think Riley Rice has been more than adequate, and I think right now the offensive line, they control the line of scrimmage against Arizona, and they got a good thing going there right now. They're getting guys healthier, and if they can get Belaga back, that would be just a huge bonus, but right now they've got Vanderbilt back and Dace Richardson staying healthy, so I like the line. Uh, pretty much a terrific game by Iowa's defense. I guess terrific would be a right word. Superb, dominant, and what have you. Claiborne was just amazing the way he pursued up and down the line of scrimmage. The linebackers were solid. Amari Spavay continues to be solid. I think getting Sean Prater back gives them a big boost. 
because he's shown last year that he's a good cover corner, and then that allows William Lowe to be a nickelback and what have you. And But, yeah, the defense, Tyler Sash continues to have a nose for the football, and if the defense can continue to play like it did Saturday, they're going to be in most games and win most games this season. Well, let's turn to this weekend's game at Penn State. Especially at this point in the season, it doesn't get much bigger than this. No, I mean, Penn State's designated this a whiteout game, so that means it's obviously a big deal to them. But I think that Iowa can use that to their advantage, too. I think they can say, hey, look how worked up they are. We're an important team. We mean something to them, too. And intimidation should not be a factor, even though Ference plays Penn State up to be the second coming. His teams have won six out of the last seven games, so I think what he does is he just kind of uses the psychology, build them up, respect them, and then, you know, let's go in and make your coach proud by beating them. And I think it works for the players. I think they, they hear so much about how great Penn State is during the course of the week that they just only thing left for them to do is just go out there and say, hey, coach, they're not as good as you think. If you were just looking at the non-conference schedules, which of the two teams is better prepared to start conference play? I would say Iowa, mainly because of the Arizona game. I think the Northern Iowa game kind of does some stuff, too, because Northern Iowa had that really unique and explosive offense. And Iowa did overcome the emotion that goes with an interstate rivalry. So I would say Iowa's schedule because I mean, they played three very mediocre opponents. Syracuse is not very good, and that was there. So, yeah, I think Iowa, I think Iowa has been more battle-tested, put it that way. Let's look at some of the specific matchups. Penn State's offensive line versus Iowa's D-line. I like Iowa there because Penn State lost a lot on their offensive line last year. They lost their all-Big Ten center, and they lost, They just lost a lot there. I mean, Penn State's strength to me is their defensive line, which I think Iowa's offensive line would be able to neutralize and what have you. But, no, I, like, I give Iowa a little edge there. Iowa's receivers versus Penn State's inexperienced secondary? I mean, you'd have to, get, I guess, give Iowa a little bit of edge there because of Penn State's inexperienced secondary. But right now, especially if DJK's out, Darrell Johnson, Culeano, that's, I mean, Iowa's still got a relatively inexperienced. I mean, if, if Moyaki and DJK are both out, I'd almost call it a draw because then you're talking Strauss and Sandeman and Allen Reisner. That's some experience, but nothing much to where I think it would totally offset Penn State. So I'd say right now, given Iowa's injuries, that if healthy Iowa's got a slide edge. Right now, I'd say they're even. Can you talk about the struggles of the Nittany Lions ground game so far? I think it's just adjusting to a new offensive line. They lost a lot of players there, and I think it'll come with time. I mean, Evan Royster's a good running back, but I, like I said, I just think even at Penn State, you, you don't just reload. It doesn't just automatically happen. Look at what's going on with USC's offense right now. When you lose key personnel, it takes some time to adjust. What do you expect to actually see in this game? What are your keys to the game? And finally, a prediction. I th what I expect to see is both teams trying to establish the run. And I also see Iowa, what Iowa needs to do, Ricky Stansley in particular, they turnovers would be just disastrous in this game. Iowa needs to avoid any costly turnovers. They also need to avoid letting Penn State do anything big on special teams early. Any any of those big momentum type plays because the crowd's going to be already a, enough of a factor and the ESPN and the, everyone's going to keep promoting the crowd and its presence and what have you. So they basically just need to kind of neutralize all the intangibles early and then just make it a slug match the rest of the way. And that's what's happened before. I mean, they got beat two years ago pretty handily there, but that was mostly because Iowa was just a stinky team two years ago. I think that was an isolated incident. When the teams are even, Iowa has found a way to win. They weren't even two years ago, and we know why. That was a bad team. But I think just avoid the early turnovers, be able to try to run the football, and I think they'll be fine. I think that's not going to guarantee a victory, but I think they should be in it till the end. Any other thoughts? No, it should be a good game. I look forward to seeing all the white. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've got too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to just keep our composure.
this will be the 10th play of the drive. They have an extra tackle in their playing line. Robinson dives, lost the ball at the goal line, but Iowa has it in the end zone for a touchdown. Robinson may not have been across the goal line, but Brett Morse, the fullback, was right there anyway. What an impressive opening drive. The only question is going to be is who gets credit for the touchdown. HawkeyesMike.com. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. As big as this Saturday's game is, there will be a lot of NFL scouts in Beaver Stadium's press box. Recently, we had the chance to visit with former Iowa star Silas McKinney about his job as a scout for the Detroit Lions. Silas, to help fans better understand what your work is for the Lions, can you talk a little bit about what an NFL scout does or looks for at a particular college game? Do you go in there looking for certain players that you're already evaluating, or do you focus on certain positions, or how does that work? All right. What, what I do is, uh, yes, we do have, we, we all, as all the scouts, all the teams have seven or eight scouts, and they have areas or regions that they cover. While we're getting ready for the draft in the spring, the way our organization does it is we, have, we belong to a combine, and there are guys that go out in the spring. They'll come to Iowa, and they'll ask uh, the coaches who are their upperclassmen or draft-eligible players that they think would have a chance to play at the next level. And they might give you one, they might give you three, three prospects and maybe two suspects, you know? So that guy will sit down and he'll go, he'll look at a minimum of three games on those guys and get the character and that type of thing. And so that gives us, and we'll meet in May, and we'll go over a lot of that stuff. So that gives us our starting point right there. That gives us a starting point. So when we come in, we have an idea of who we, we, are, we are supposed to take a look at. Uh, now, of course, that changes because sometimes guys are no longer on the roster for various reasons. And then sometimes there's transfers in. And we still ask the coaches uh, when we get there, okay, I have these guys. Is there anybody else I need to take a look at? Okay, and they'll give you somebody. Or, and then sometimes they'll tell you, uh, like in the case of uh, Ohio State, I was there one year and, and we were talking to Coach Trestle and he said, oh yeah, and you need to take a look at this Antonio Holmes. So Antonio was a junior, so we go like, well, is he uh, coaches, he having some problems academically or some other issues? He said, no, his, his game is ready for the next level and he'll, and he'll come out as a junior. So uh, that's kind of how we operate and, and we're not, uh, we're not position specific. If, if you scout for somebody, you, you do all positions and uh, you just evaluate, you do the tape, you watch practice, you evaluate them, uh, evaluate them, and then you put a, put a grade on them. And then, you, then you wait for the draft. You stack them on your board, and that's how this whole thing comes together. Are you ever surprised at the performance of a player who wasn't really on your radar before a game? Not really. Usually when you see that, you go like, oh, boy, who is that guy? Then you, then you look and you find out he's an underclassman. So, you, you know, you, you take your focus away from him. But usually that's what happens. We're, we're uh, rarely surprised. I'll tell you what does happen, though. You know, sometimes guys, guys, make, guys can make a big jump from the junior to the senior year and going through a spring. Well, let's say a guy didn't play much as a sophomore. 
played some as a junior. You know, he might have may have started as a junior, but he he, he may have matured a lot during the summer and then in, in in the fall, and he makes a big jump. I, I didn't know. I, again, I had the West last year, so I, I didn't I didn't see Iowa, and that's the first time in a, like 11 years that I haven't seen Iowa. So but the the tight end was uh, he he's a good player. Uh, he's a good player, and then uh, they they have some guys that have a chance. To, to play at our level. They have, to, they have some guys that have a chance to get better and play at our level, and he'd be one of them, yes. How many games will you typically attend in a season, and how often might you cover the same team? You know, obviously, I, I have uh, I have the, uh, the Big 12 in, enti- in its entirety, So, and, I, and, I, and also I have the state of Texas, so that's, that's a lot of ground to cover. What we have is we call them A, B, C, D schools, and it's, it's rated that way by the prospects, which if someone has a top player than an A player, then you'd like to see that, that guy at least twice. You know, the B schools, and you know, you probably see them once, you know, everybody else once. And if you see a guy at a B school that you think, or a C school, it doesn't matter, and you think he's a guy on the, on the, on, on the come, then you, you know, you want to see him again. You try, it's so hard because you need to go home at some point in time. Um, but I try and see all of the A schools play and it's good if they play against each other. Sometimes if it's just linemen that they have, I, I can let that slide because you can you do, you, you get a good enough look at them on tape to make some some, some solid rendering, some good, some good decisions. You, you always like to see corners play, top corners, you like to see them play, and you like to see quarterbacks play to really get a good feel for them. <laughs> Just a reminder that you can be part of the next show by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team statistics. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And broadcast school has really paid off. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. Iowa and Penn State are both 3-0 heading into Saturday's big game. It's the 22nd game in this series, which Penn State leads 11-10. Iowa has won six of the last seven, including four of the last five games played at University Park, and Iowa leads the all-time series 6-4 in games played at Penn State. However, the 2007 Hawks lost in their last trip there 27-7. Penn State is currently ranked fourth and fifth in the national polls. Iowa is unranked, but receiving votes. Everyone knows what Joe Paterno has done. He's in his 60th season on the Penn State staff and his 44th year as the Nittany Lions head coach. He's the winningest major college football coach with an overall record of 386-127-3. Since Iowa's 2008 last-second win over Penn State in Kinnick Stadium, the Hawks have gone 7-0, a winning streak tied for fourth-best nationally with Texas. The Hawks have won their first three games for the fifth time in 11 seasons under Ferentz. The Hawkeyes have played 
played five overtime games in the program's history, and two of those have come against Penn State in Beaver Stadium, both games which Iowa won. The Nittany Lions are playing their fourth straight home game, and they have a great schedule. They play six of their first seven at home. Penn State ranks second in the nation in scoring defense, while Iowa is 15th. The Hawks' pass defense is 25th best. Penn State's is 29th. Much of the talk in Pennsylvania has revolved around wanting revenge for last year's Iowa win, although Paterno and his players say that is not the primary motivating factor for this game. The Nittany Lions have been dinged up, especially on defense, and two of their star linebackers remain questionable for the game. They've not really been tested in any of their non-conference contests, never even trailing in those games. The Penn State media and fan base is still wondering just how good this team might be and whether their national ranking is deserved at this point in the season. They view the Iowa game as their true start of the 2009 season. They have a great quarterback in senior Daryl Clark, who still blames himself for last year's loss to the Hawks, and they have a prolific running back in Evan Royster. But their offensive line is inexperienced and has been struggling to make the ground game work. This is one of the keys to Saturday's game for both Iowa and Penn State. The Hawks come into the game having been well-tested in their first three contests. The Hawks' defense has dominated, and the the offense has improved substantially each week. Another key will be the play of quarterback Ricky Stanzi. If he continues to build on last week's performance and limits his mistakes, which will be crucial, the Hawks will have a shot in this one. More than likely, it will be a defensive struggle. Each team's ability to control the ball on offense and time of possession may determine which defense can hold up for the full 60 minutes. Ryan Donahue's punting is also likely to be a critical factor. This has all the makings of a great game. Two good football teams, both undefeated. Kirk Ferentz coaching against legendary Joe Paterno. ESPN College Game Day, ABC National TV and Primetime, and a special Nittany Lions whiteout game. It's almost time to get it on, with 108,000 crazed fans looking for revenge in a completely packed Beaver Stadium. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had a stuff. Let me help you with that. I, I think Kirk Ferentz, he's, he's found out today that he that, that he really does have a team that's yeah. fast and can play and compete, especially on defense. And his offensive line is good. And this is an offensive line that didn't have their left left tackle, Brian Bulliga. Yeah. A great player. Quite a performance by the Iowa Hawkeyes. Sash gets another interception, his fourth in two weeks. Uh, great defensive effort and an offensive line effort by Iowa. Look forward to watching them down the road. Our thanks again to ABC for the game highlights this week, and thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. This week also, special thanks once again to Silas McKinney. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.